We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. Justin, what is up tonight? We have moved our recording day. Our first Wednesday episode is here. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Looking forward to, uh, I think, just like the Titans, looking forward to flushing that one down the toilet and moving on to week two. That's what we're doing here on the Music City Audible. We got a great guest to help preview the game coming up against Seattle. So uh, I'm good to be here. I'm better than the Titans are right now. That's for sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So today we got a little bit of news to discuss. We're going to recap the Titans disastrous loss to the Cardinals. Talk a little bit about were the Titans overrated? And maybe see if we can find find some silver linings from that game. Then we'll bring on our guest, Michael Sean Dugar of The Athletic Seattle, to talk about this upcoming matchup. And then we'll give our own expectations and predictions before we get out of here. So let's start with the news. The Titans have released kicker Michael Badgley after his first game with the team. Sam Ficken surprise move to IR on the Saturday before the game. Titans call up Michael Badgley. He goes out and promptly misses an extra point and a field goal. So he is gone. It looks like Randy Bullock will handle the kicking duties for the Titans in week two. Only a matter of time before he is cut and the next man is brought in, in my opinion. I want to know what Steven Goskowski is doing and if they can go get him back on the team. Thoughts on the money badger already being gone. Yeah, I I really liked him coming out of college. And from what I I actually interviewed him before the NFL draft, and I enjoyed him, enjoyed watching him in college. And I don't really know what happened there because I thought he had a good first couple of years in the league, right? It seemed like he he was good. The money badger didn't come out of nowhere. He was money. Right, yeah, right. The nickname was earned in the beginning. So I don't really know what happened there. I'd, I'd have to go in and look into it. But I know that he wasn't good on Sunday. Uh, missed an extra yeah. point, as you said, missed a 46 yarder, which was, let's be frank about it, a terrible decision on Mike Rabel's part to kick that. It was fourth and one. There was what a little under a minute left in the second quarter. Felt like they needed seven there, A and B. Uh, felt like they should have had no reason to trust that Padgley was going to make that from 46 yards. But Rabel sent him on out there. He missed the kick as we all knew he would. And now he's gone. Uh, I expected him to get cut on Monday, which he did. They promoted Randy Bullock to the active roster. (coughs) They promoted Randy Bullock to the active roster on Tuesday evening. Bullock will handle kicking duties on Sunday. He is a longtime NFL kicker, played 12 games with the Bengals last year, went 21 of 26, and I believe 24 of 25 on extra points. So extra points were not really an issue for him last year. He was money from there, but 21 of 26, I think was three of five from 50 or or further. So, uh, you know, just under 81%, not great. So that is a little concerning. So we'll see how he does, but I'm with you. I don't have a lot of confidence in him on Sunday. My only real memory of Randy Bullock, who kicked for the Texans for a long time, and then the Bengals, as you mentioned, is in 2016 when the Titans were trying to make the playoffs. 
And all Randy Bullock had to do was make a 43-yard field goal as time expired against the Texans in the final week of the year. And instead of hitting that field goal and putting the Titans in the playoffs and the Texans out, he missed from 43 yards. Texans made the playoffs. Titans did not. That's I, all I remember about Bullock. <laughs> I remember that kick like it was yesterday. I was watching so intensely. I mean, I thought it was even closer than 43. I remember thinking it was something that he should. I'll take your I mean, you'll know for sure it's 43. But I remember thinking this is something he should absolutely make. And I was watching very intensely. And then he missed it. And God, I remember my disappointment to this day uh, when I realized he missed it. And just how lucky I thought Houston was. So, that is my, I don't want to call it best. It is my worst memory of Randy Bullock. It's also my only memory of Randy Bullock. And I have a feeling we will make new bad memories on Sunday. Best as in clearest. I should have been. Clearest. Yeah, yeah, clearest yeah, memory. Most, the one that stands out to me. In other news, the Titans have sadly placed safety Amani Hooker on injured reserve. There was some anticipation that this might happen after on Monday, the team promoted Bradley McDougald, who we'll talk about a little bit later with our guest, Michael Sean Dugar, because McDougald, the former Seahawk, Dugar is very familiar with how Bradley McDougal is as a player, so we get into that a little bit, but... Anyway, Bradley McDougald called up from the practice squad, Amani Hooker placed on IR... Really a bummer for what was expected to be a big season for the promising young player after he finally moved into a starting role. How bummed are you having spoken to Imani personally? You wrote a, a, an additional story about how this was a break going to be a breakout year for him for Broadway Sports Media earlier this year. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, like, like you said, I interviewed Imani back in, uh, I think it was uh, mid-July to late July. I had written a story on him a little before that on how I thought he was going to break out. Gave a lot of reasons why. Now, the saving grace here is, I mean, you, you know, Vrabel's not going to talk about injuries, but you hope this is a three-week thing, right? I mean, with the IR rules now, you can bring a guy back after a couple of weeks. So there, there's no indication that this is season-ending, it's three weeks or, or what it is. But you really hope it's just going to be a couple weeks and he'll be right back before we know it. As you said, McDougald will take his place for now. He played 37 snaps on Sunday against Arizona. I think he's a competent player. With that said, uh, this is one of those matchups where I think you really wish you had Hooker out there. You talk about going up against a quarterback like Russell Wilson. You yeah. talk about how he's going to you know, uh, put a lot of stress on the secondary, how he's going to create off script as he's been doing his entire NFL career. I think you'd like to have a couple of ball hawking safeties back there to make life difficult on him. And that's what you had in Bayard and Hooker. And now you don't have it for week two. You got McDougald coming in here, who again, we'll, we'll talk more with our guest a little bit later, but he's a versatile guy, but seems to do a bit more of, of his work near the ball. And that's why I think the Titans will deploy him on Sunday. So this is a blow. It's crappy for a young guy, but you hope you just get him back as soon as possible. Yeah, that's how I feel. We'll get into McDougald a bit later. We don't really know how the Titans will use him yet, but we talk about that with our guests. So let's just get right into our little Cardinals recap here. Titans get stomped, obliterated, destroyed, whatever word you want to use, routed by the Arizona Cardinals who... I mean, we talked about it on this podcast last week. We did not think the Cardinals were very well coached. We did not think their roster was as good as the Titans. And they looked to be a much better coached team with a much deeper and more talented roster on the field on Sunday. Final score, 38-13. I do not believe the over cashed because the Titans' offense did not show up at all. Despite the team allowing 38 points, they were not able to cash the 53-point over. So, what do you think? 
Justin, did we, as a fan base, as a media group, vastly overrate this Titans team? Or is this the team that we expected? They just didn't put it together for week one at all. And it's not going to be a long season. It's just going to be a bounce back game. Or is this going to be a long, brutal season for Titans fans? I'm going to give you a, a cowardly answer, but it's the only thing. It's it's really how I feel. I don't know. And yeah. I don't think anybody does. You know, it's 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 week one. It's tough to put a, a lot of stock into it, um, but it was so bad. I think it would be silly of us to sit here and say, oh, they, they're definitely going to be fine. You know, we'll just they'll, they'll bounce back. I mean, I, I don't know. They might. They might not. You know, it's I don't think they'll be as bad as they were on Sunday. But they were so bad that that doesn't necessarily guarantee they'll be good, you know, if you know what I mean. So uh, they, they can still be better than that and still be bad, right? That, that's sort of how, yeah. the, how, how poorly that went. So uh, it, it's hard to tell. I think if you want to take the optimistic point of view, I don't want to use the word excuses, but there are a lot of quote-unquote reasons you can come up with. Uh, you can point to the lack of cohesion and chemistry built throughout July and August. You know, these guys had no reps together in the preseason. They didn't. I don't, I don't think they had a single practice together, right? Training camp. You never had Ryan Tannehill out there with AJ Brown and with Julio Jones and with Derrick Henry and, and yada, and yada. So you, you can talk about that. Sorry. And the O-line was mostly missing. And the O-line. Yeah. Which, I mean, you camp. got guys like Ben Jones and Nate Davis just coming off the COVID list recently. Perhaps that had an impact on their performance. You got Julio Jones who, who did not really look ready to play. Uh, looked like a lot of things were off. Were off with him shaking the rust off. Uh, timing, chemistry, cohesion with Ryan Tannehill wasn't there, as some of us expected. Maybe the case, but I don't think any of us thought it was going to be that bad. You know, really, he was. Uh, I think Mike, uh, you know, Herndon said that not only was he not what we expected him to be, he was actually a net negative. Right, so uh, that was not what we thought it was going to be. Uh, you talk about Taylor Lewan, you can maybe say. Week one, coming off an ACL, maybe Chandler Jones is not the ideal matchup for you as you kind of get back into the swing of things. You're talking about one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Uh, so that that went obviously very poorly for Luan. Um, you can talk about all those things and take the optimistic point of view. Um, I, I just, you, you have to wait and see. I, I know I'm not trying to take the cowardly out. It's the, it's the God honest truth. I don't think you can... Uh, guarantee anything right now uh, that guarantee that they're that bad or guarantee that they just come back from this. Uh, I, I do think they get better. How much better is a fair question and, and how quickly do they get better is, is another thing because you remember, I, and I didn't even talk about Todd Downing who I think had a, you know, there were a lot of factors that maybe handcuffed him a little bit. The performance of, o of the O-line being one of them, but he wasn't good. You know, there's no way around it that he, that he did not have a good first showing. And again, if you want to stick with that optimistic point of view, you can go back to Arthur Smith, right? And I remember how, I mean, I remember, I'll be honest with you, the first six weeks of the season of Arthur Smith's first year, I thought he was like the worst offensive coordinator I had ever seen. I mean, they were one of the worst offensive teams in football. They were bad, you know, with, with yeah. Marcus Mariota starting there, they were scoring 12, 13 points a game. Arthur Smith looked way in over his head. I thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be one and done and that they made a terrible decision when they promoted him. So, you know, it, it could take time to figure out like it did then, but it, it could also take too long and their season, you know, may not, may not be in a good place by the time they figure it out. The one saving grace on that front is you can't imagine anyone's going to run away with the AFC South, right? I mean, you just, the Houston Texans are in first place right now, as we all predicted they would be 
at one and oh, um, and everyone else lost. They beat Jacksonville, Indianapolis got their butts kicked by Seattle. They did not look good in that game either. So I don't think anyone's going to run away with the AFC South, but truthfully, my expectations for the team are higher than that. I don't just expect them to hang around in a bad AFC South, right? You're talking about Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, AJ Brown. You expect this thing to go well. So we'll see. Yeah, you covered a lot of territory there. I agree with pretty much everything you said. The one thing I'll say about the offensive coordinator thing with Arthur Smith's first six games is there ain't no Ryan Tannehill sitting on the bench ready to come in for Ryan Tannehill, okay? In the first six weeks, may have been Art Smith figuring out how to be an offensive coordinator, or it may have been Marcus Mariota didn't really know how to run an offense, and Ryan Tannehill had that command that you were looking for, whereas this is not Todd Downing's first go as an offensive coordinator. He shouldn't be figuring it out. He should be have it figured out, and I don't know. I, I thought there was a, a lot of first down runs, which the Titans led the league in first down run rate last year, and their offense didn't suffer for it, you know, but a lot of these teams now, you know, a lot of these teams with really good offenses are passing early and often, and the Titans may want to look to do some of that going forward because I think we're going to see a lot of this, even with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones on the outside. Teams are going to say, we are going to stop Derrick Henry. And that's what the Cardinals came in to do. They said, we're going to stop Derrick Henry. If you want AJ and Julio to beat us on the outside, go for it. And what happened? You mentioned Julio Jones had a tough game. He had an early penalty that negated the first first down of the game. He had a ball bounce off his hands that ended up as an interception. He had a ball bounce off his hands that should have been a touchdown. So, yeah, not a great start to Julio Jones' Tennessee Titans career. But I think all these things, all these all these mishaps that happened are are at least hopefully going to serve as some sort of wake-up call for the Titans. Like, this isn't the first time this Mike Vrabel Titans team has gotten trounced by a good team, you know, that they thought they could go in and win a game. The Green Bay game, this, is, this game reminds me so much of the Green Bay game last year, where, yeah, that game was in the frigid snow, but just felt like everything the Titans tried to do on offense, the other team was ready for, and everything the other team tried to do on offense worked against the Titans, even when they were in good defensive position, even when they got pressure on the quarterback, even when the coverage was right there. It just felt like they couldn't catch a break in this game outside of the one Kevin Byard interception, but even that, and they got a touchdown right after that, but that was just like too few things going in the Titans' direction there for it to really matter. Trivia question for you. Do you know who the Titans' highest-rated passer was in this game? Passer? Well, of course. It was Matthias Farley, who threw a six-yard completion on that fourth down play from deep in the Titans' own territory. How about that for a play call? To Imani Hooker, right? Yes, to Imani Hooker, yes. Crazy, too bad. Uh, Imani Hooker will not be doing that anymore this season but yeah crazy play i did think the titans best play call was the flea flicker which when your best play call is a trick trick play it's usually not a great it, it shows how desperate they were i mean look at right. the, uh, call a flea flicker to call a fake punt uh deep in your own territory in the first half i think that yeah. still was uh it, it kind of shows how bad things were going truthfully right those are not things you want to rely on to get you back in a game or to move the ball on offense. I mean, can, can you imagine, you know, the, the, the hype leading up to the game, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, AJ Brown playing their first game together. Can you imagine saying this team's going to have to run a fake punt in the first half and they're going to have to run a flea flicker just to try to get something going on offense, just to get some morale pumping. So this was ugly. Re- really, really, there's really no way ugly. around it. It was just, it was awful. Last thing I want to touch on here is Ryan Tannehill's performance. 
and just the passing game overall, because yeah, Chandler Jones was a machine and he absolutely dominated Taylor Lewan on a couple of snaps. He absolutely wrecked Kendall Lamb on one oh. play. He was in the backfield immediately on that naked bootleg early on the first play action play they tried to run. But there were also a lot of times, I mean, he took six sacks or 56 yards and it felt like three of them were just the offensive lineman got beat immediately one-on-one or was that naked bootleg play. And it felt like the other half of those sacks, and I need to go rewatch the game closer to see what was going on downfield, but it felt like Tannehill could have got rid of the ball. And even if he didn't have an open guy or whatever, like he stood in the pocket and held the ball like, like Marcus Mariota would for a few of those plays. And what is the, what was going on with the receivers? Like Chester Rogers led the team in receiving yards with 62 he and AJ Brown each had four catches. AJ Brown led the team in targets with eight, but like still eight, eight. AJ Brown still to this day only has one double digit target game in the last two years. What is the deal? Just throw them the ball. They tried one screen play to their wide receivers, and it was like an awful looking play. It looked like they'd never run a screen before as a team. They had one screen to Derrick Henry, but like, where's the short game? Where's the quick passes? I felt like they had one play where Tannehill like snapped it and threw it right away to A.J. Brown. He like dove forward for a first down. It's like, do that more often. Where are all these plays getting your wide receivers involved quickly against quick man cut, like run some quick passing plays to get these receivers involved and pepper them with targets. I want AJ Brown and Julio Jones to combine for 20 plus targets a week, not 14, especially if Tannehill's throwing the ball 35 times and dropping back 41 times or 42. He scrambled once. So, I mean, he's not gonna always throw the ball this many times. Like that's a high volume game for Ryan Tannehill in this Titans offense and the receivers still only combined the top two only combined for 14 targets so I have a lot of complaints with how this game was just managed even aside from the players losing constantly in one-on-one situations it really is mind-blowing and and you think about the lack of play action. We, we talked about, look, it's tougher to call play action uh, when your O-line's getting beat up the way that it was. But on the other side of that, I, I felt like a lot of those sacks, and I agree that Tannehill could have gotten the ball out quicker on a few of them. At least that was my opinion from the broadcast angle. Uh, you know, I share that opinion with you. But one thing that contradicts, okay, well, you can't run the play action as much because you're getting beat up. It still felt like later in the game, a lot of those routes were long developing routes, weren't they? Right? Right. They weren't getting the ball out quick. They weren't uh, accounting for how bad the O-line was performing in that sense where there are a couple of clips. I think Superhorn put a few on Twitter where they're just, those receivers are running long routes, right? And Tannehill's down on the ground before they're even coming in, in and out of their breaks. So not, not a good game all around. You know, on the topic of Tannehill, I thought there were some things he could have done better, but I think he was far from their biggest issue. I, I'm certainly putting it on the O-line Agreed. before him. I'm putting it on Julio Jones uh, a little bit, and I'm putting it on Todd Downing uh, as well. So really curious to see how this team bounces back on Sunday. And, and I may regret saying this, but I am glad that they don't have a cupcake matchup in week two. I am glad that they don't get to, you know, pull a Green Bay Packers and go play the Detroit Lions after getting their butts kicked uh, by the New Orleans Saints in week one. I am glad they have to go play a tough game in a hostile environment in Seattle because it really forces them to, you know, uh, excuse my French, get their shit together sooner rather than later. And, and Mike pointed this out on Twitter. Mike Rabel is 7-0 uh, following a double-digit loss in his career as Titans head coach. I thought that was a really interesting fact. With that said, 
I, I don't really expect them to win this football game. But I'm glad you brought that up. It is a reason for hope. It is something to look forward to. And on that note, let's talk about a few silver linings from this game. A My few. Top, I got <laughs> two or three. My number one thing is just that in general, week ones are always weird. They're just always weird. Remember when the Titans beat the Bucks like 42 to 14 or something crazy in Marcus Mariota's first start? Remember when the Titans went to Arrowhead and beat Kansas City and they went on to have three and 13 and two and 14 seasons after that? Remember when the the Jaguars beat the Colts in week one last year and then went one and 15 on the year? Week ones are always weird, especially when you mentioned this before. You don't play at all in the preseason. Your starters don't play a snap together in the preseason. Don't play a snap together in the training camp. It felt like this was them still gelling, figuring things out. And you can do that a little bit more in an 18 game schedule than you can in a 17 or 18 week schedule than you can in a 17 week schedule. I mean, there's at least one more week to try to make up that ground that you lost. And if you're going to lose a game, make it an out of conference game. The Titans open this season here with two games against the NFC, which means that even if they lose them both, which is a very likely possibility sitting here now, even if they lose them both, it doesn't hurt them too much in terms of the playoff standings race. Now, obviously, like you said, the expectations are higher than just making the playoffs. But they have time to get things together and figure it out throughout the course of the season. If you're going to lose your two early games, at least it's not like two divisional games or two AFC. It's not the Bills and the Chiefs the first two weeks. You know what I mean? At least it's a couple of NFC opponents. And as far as actual silver linings taken out of that game, I thought Christian Fulton looked really, really good. I thought he looked like the potential cornerback one that you and I said he could be coming out of the 2020 draft. And I look forward to seeing him continue to play at a high level next week against a really challenging matchup. Silver, for me, I mean, <laughs> I thought Christian Fulton looked really good. I mean, granted, he was covering uh, the, the, uh, the shell of A.J. Green, right? Green, Green's not what he used to be, but I thought Fulton played a good football game. I thought Harold Landry played a good football game. Certainly looked like their best edge rusher, uh, best player in the front seven. Yeah. Um, it's week one. It was an NFC loss. Everyone yeah. had fun. I don't know. I'm searching yeah. for silver linings now. But. One of my silver linings was that we didn't have any, the Titans didn't suffer any serious injuries, but now we see Imani Hooker go to IR. Imani Hooker goes on serious. IR. So, yeah, my, my silver linings would be truthfully that, uh, you know, I, I thought Christian Fulton and Harold Landry really stood out um, and played good football. Other than that, uh, I'll be honest. I, I don't think I really have anything for you. This is it, it 38, 13, you know, it went poorly. <laughs> Brett Kern still got it. Brett Kern. Yeah. I mean, you would say, you would think he got a lot of work in considering it was 38, 13, but I think he only punted three times. So interesting how that works out. How, how did they only punt three times when they scored 13 points? Yeah, that is pretty wild. He had three punts for average of 50 a piece long of 59. So he had a good game. Andy Lee also punted three times for the Cardinals. Of course, <laughs> Cardinals scored 38, Titans scored 13. But enough of that. Like you said right at the top, we're flushing it. We're moving on. Titans have a lot of things that they can learn from this game. That's always a silver lining. Lots of things to correct. You know exactly what your issues are. Knowledge They're is power. Every <laughs> They're everywhere. That's right. Knowledge is power. So with that in mind, let's kick off our Seahawks discussion by bringing in our guest, Michael Sean Dugar covers the Seahawks for The Athletic Seattle. He's also a co-host on the Seahawks Man-to-Man -Man podcast for The Athletic. Thanks for joining the show tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me. We are going to get into this upcoming matchup. It's it's funny, the uh, Seahawks got back-to-back -back AFC South 
competition here, opponents. So just to get things started here, how did the Seahawks beat the Colts, and what do you th- what did you take away from that game about Seattle? Uh, Seattle won both sides of the line of scrimmage, um, mm. and that usually gets you a victory if the pieces around the line of scrimmage are just like competent. Now they have some <laughs> other pieces that are beyond competent, like at receiver and um, safety and quarterback, and that helps uh, as well. But just like you watch the watching it live, it was very evident too. But like you watch the tape of it, I mean the sacks that they were giving up on Carson. Carson Wentz was getting beat to, to hell, man. Um, he, I think they had like 12 quarterback hits on him, which is just, oh. yeah, that's a lot, man. The three, the three sacks were just straight up. Wasn't even nothing fancy. They're straight up. His left tackle got beat twice. His right tackle got beat once, you know, fourth down. Like it, it was really just Carson had nothing to do. That's why they look at the box score. I think Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines had like 15 catches between the two of them because they just kept jumping it off and running screens because Carson had no time to do anything. So the Seahawks won that side of the ball. Uh, up front and then they won the other side with protecting Russ um, save for uh, DeForest Buckner blowing through the backup center on one of those <laughs> snaps uh, the Seahawks ran the ball pretty effectively the pass protection was pretty solid most of the night um, their left t- their left tackle didn't give up a pressure compared to Indy's left tackle giving up two sacks yeah. let alone pressure so like they there was some other stuff to it but most people would probably watch that tape outside of being just marveling at how good Russell is. You look up front and you're like, wow, this indie team, which is supposed to be really strong up front on both sides, looked pedestrian um, against the Seahawks. Well, we have good news for you. If, 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 if the Seahawks defense was getting after the quarterback, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of the Titans week one game you caught, if any, but Tyler Jones had it. five sacks. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, it's brutal. Taylor Luan. Good God, Oof. he was. There's a there's a clip out there I just saw. I didn't even catch on the first watch that Buddha Baker puts that dude on his butt. Mm-hmm. Like, man, if you're getting strong armed by safeties, I mean, Buddha's you know not, not no scrub, but he shouldn't be putting you on your butt. Like 195 that, yeah. pounds, Buddha Baker. <laughs> that's yeah, that's 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 bad. Yeah, when I watched that game, uh, I re- when I rewatched it uh, yesterday, actually, oh, good God, I wanted to see how how Chandler got all those sacks. And it was like true sacks too, with the exception of the one where he comes free on the bootleg. The other right. ones are just him, just just destroying the Titans. And it was not, it was not a good day. Well, it wasn't a good day for the whole front, but man, that 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 left tackle had a, had a rough night, a rough day. Old school, old school one v one, right? Most yeah, of them, yeah. just just beating your man. Yeah, no, I was it was well. I really wanted to see how they uh, how the Cardinals uh, shut down Derrick Henry. And it was really interesting to see how they were able to do that. It was a lot of, uh, they run, it looks like the Cardinals run the same front uh, that like, that like three, four, like a bear type of front. Uh, at least like that's what they were doing that game. Cause you know, when you're in that front, all your gaps are covered. Exactly. So like you're, you're, you're pretty runs. You're, uh, you're pretty good in your run fits as long as you're just disciplined. And then if you have good interior linemen, like the Cardinals have and like guys like Corey Peters, JJ Watt, then yeah, like the goal line stand they were having on Derrick Henry was like impressive stuff. And it was really showcasing how rough the Titans were having of a day up front. Good God. Michael, I want to get into the Seahawks offense. I mean, we talked a lot about the defense there and, and, and how well they played against Indianapolis and how they uh, really made life tough on Carson Wentz. 
Shane Waldron, new offensive coordinator. I think everyone there in Seattle is really excited about um, a, what did you see from him in week one and B uh, is he the best offensive coordinator that Russ has ever had? Uh, I mean, it's too early to say that. I mean, Daryl <laughs> Bevel set a lot of franchise records. He's the, uh, he's OC in Jacksonville. Now I didn't watch right. their game or how they're doing down there, but, uh, not great. Said, yeah. It didn't look it, as some, as a fantasy owner of, uh, Chenault and James Robinson. It <laughs> did. Yeah. My team, I lost. <laughs> so <laughs> they definitely, I don't know why I put so much stock in the Jags offense, but uh, Daryl Bevel set a lot of franchise records um, when he was here. And I mean, they won a Super Bowl and had like top 10 offenses in uh, DVOA all the damn time. And then uh, Brian Schottenheimer had three top 10 offenses in a row uh, in 2018, 19, and 20 using DVOA again and then got canned. So Russ has had good coordinators. None of his coordinators are getting fired like because of incompetence. I don't think it's more like a stylistic preference in terms of what Pete Carroll wants but I think what Shane has done in that first game Shane did a lot of what McVay does which makes sense he used to work for him is he dresses up a lot of plays to look very similar but have different outcomes so like even and I, I kind of knew that would be the thing because I watched training camp but it was interesting to hear my uh, colleague Stephen Holder covers the Colts uh just he just kind of blurted it out in like the third quarter he was like man they're just running variations of the same like three plays uh, and it was, in, I already had that written in my notes and it was interesting to just hear Steven say it. We had never talked about it or nothing. And it just kind of like validated. I was like, Oh yeah, no, like, okay. I'm not the only one seeing it this way. Like, mm -hmm. and I talked to a bunch of players after the game and they were like, yeah, no, that's the plan. That way you can never really know what we're doing. You know, one time D Eskridge might take the jet sweep. One time Tyler might take it or DK Metcalf might take it, or Freddie Swen may take it, or they'll fake it to those guys, and then it's a run, or it's a pass, or it's a flea flicker, whatever. They just have so much, so many variations. It's just very tough to to kind of pin down. They, now, the Colts, they were at a disadvantage that other teams won't be because that was the first game. So, like, the Titans now have the benefit of film study that the Colts probably wish they had now. Right. So I don't imagine that they'll be – the Titans will look as lost as the Colts look at times but then again i also saw a titan secondary and they looked they looked lost <laughs> not look good mm. yeah speaking of that secondary i actually want to want to pick your brain on uh who will probably start for safety at the titans on sunday a guy that you'll know pretty well uh it looks like bradley mcdougald is going to get a start next to kevin byard because titans just put their starting uh safety on ir that's a money hooker so bradley mcdougald is expected to get the start now played 37 snaps a week ago uh to my knowledge he was always quite well liked in seattle so curious to hear your thoughts on bradley what, how are they using bradley is he like the strong safety in this scheme yeah he, he probably will be now it's actually we're going to be interested to see how that shakes out because kevin byard has been a free safety you know i mean he's there he's very versatile but mostly a, a middle field kind of guy and now with um, um kenny vaccaro being released this offseason imani hooker stepping into a starting role a lot of titans people cover the titans thought kevin byard would play a lot more in the box and imani hooker would play the post safety kind of role and then imani hooker has now been added to ir and will miss at least three weeks so my expectation would be Bayer drops back and plays more of a center field kind of role and McDougald plays up in the box. But I don't know. They might try to interchange them and pretend like they have two starters out there because McDougald is still a pretty, I mean, solid player as far as backups go. Yeah, so I asked that because the thing with Bradley, um, so they signed him, I think, after the 2016 season 
to back up both Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. That was their thought. They were like, this guy's so versatile that if someone goes down at either spot, we can we can just plug this McDougald guy in. And they did, actually. That was actually a good, uh, nice foresight on their part. Cam, that's the year he got hurt in the neck and never played again. And that's the year Earl pulled, pulled his hammy. Um, I guess the Texans had missed two weeks. Bradley started for both of them um, at different points in the season. Uh, so he showed his versatility. And eventually, when Earl broke his leg, put Bradley at strong safety most of the time. And he only played free safety in a pinch. And I remember talking to Bradley about that. And he was like, I, I just like strong safety more. And it was this was the weird part. He was the best cover safety on the team, but he didn't like being back there. Um, he wanted to be closer to the ball, be closer to the action, gives him more opportunities to make plays because free safeties don't get tested a ton. At least the good ones don't. Uh, so he not bored back there, but like he just uh, he preferred to be closer to the action. That's why I was curious how they're using him uh, up there because he is he started at linebacker for these guys once. Uh, week two of the 2018 season against the Bears on Monday Night wow. Football because uh, Bre- uh, Bobby Wagner was hurt. So, and KJ Wright was hurt. So, they had, they needed linebackers bad and they lost that game. Uh, and Bradley played fine. He actually had a pass defection that led to an interception. Like, he's he's a really versatile dude. I think I called him like a Swiss Army knife once because he is, uh, he's very effective in the box, but he can, he can cover. And he's seen a lot of football too. I think he was like an undrafted guy with the Chiefs. And then started for the Bucks for a little bit, and uh, and then started here. Like he was a very reliable dude. Um, I know a lot of guys in the DB room are kind of sad to see him go in the Jamal Adams trade. Like they they're happy to have Jamal, but like they would have easily just been like, hey, can we just give him all those picks? Why do I have to give him Bradley too? You know, nobody was really a big fan uh, of doing that. So I mean, honestly, I could see if if I don't know about how Hooker was or how he's projected to be before the injury, but. I think Byard and uh and Bradley can be a really good or at least a competent uh, safety pairing. And like I said, I w- just watching week one, competence should be the goal. Like it's, yeah. it's the minimum after after what Kyler was doing to those guys. Yeah, no kidding. Kyler was dealing out there. I'm curious if you expect something similar in this game from Russell Wilson and those formidable receivers on the outside. What are your expectations for how this game unfolds in Seattle? What I think the um, what's been interesting about Seattle's offense, just it's one game sample with like a few, you know, training camp practices is how much they try to like make the corners work as tacklers. Um, like you look at the first play from scrimmage is actually like a toss um, out left. Um, and it for in like the first thing. So imagine you're a corner, you get ready, you lined up DK Metcalf's in front of you, but instead you're in the run fit now. And then Dwayne Brown's coming at you off the edge. You got, you got, you know, make a business decision. Like, I think that is where they actually try to attack weaker uh, corners because the Colts corners aren't very good either. That could be something I see them doing, not in, in addition to, like, on third down, taking their chances. So, and then just just testing the outside in general. They run a lot of jet sweeps to the outside. Like, just really trying to make the corners work. And if you're just not disciplined or not a good tackler or you're asleep at the wheel or whatever, then they'll just start killing you deep or whatever. So I think that, like, just – very similar to how like the idea of like play action sucks the linebackers in. I think the Seahawks, what they've kind of, what they're going to try to do, maybe not this week or whatever. I think part of the evolution of the new scheme will be like, all right, you have to account for us on the edge now so much that we can almost play action your corners. If that makes sense, you know, we can fake a fly sweep. Like if we hit you for nine yards on a fly sweep twice, 
Now your corner is looking for the fly sweep, right? Because it keeps coming inside. All right, now I'm going to fake the fly sweep and hit you with something over your head. So you almost play action in the corners. It's kind of genius now I think about it. Um, so I think it'll be, it will be that as much as it'll be like, oh, it's third down. Now DK, you know, is matched up against like Elijah Moulton, Elijah Moulton or something like that. Like they'll do that as well or Jack Rapid or whoever. But I, I think that they're going to try to make their corners defend everywhere in all parts of their, their game, which is tough to do, you know, as a corner, even if you are good, unless you're like Dylan Ramsey. Like that's my like pre- prediction uh, for this one. Look, Michael, this has been terrific, man. Really appreciate your time. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close it out with not so much a, a final score prediction, but who you see coming out on top in this one. Uh, I would, I mean, unless, I, I do think the Tennessee O-line will play a lot better. I think Derek Henry will play a lot better. Um, I, don't, I don't expect that again. That would be awful. Uh, but And I think that Julio and AJ have a bit more natural advantages in this uh, matchup against the the corner so i expect him to play better I expect julio to catch the ball yeah like three drops in that game so weird um a little rest very... oh, but man that dude he's drafted in 2011 man like catching the ball should you be able to do that in your sleep you know yeah. like that's you shouldn't need to practice julio jones so that was that was weird so i do think the titans will put up more points uh, i think they could have put up more points against the cardinals too which is like so deflating you get into scoring territory and then you miss the extra point or you miss a field goal like that game could have been a lot a lot closer and it would have felt like him reach a lot more uh but it's a long winded way of saying i do think the seahawks will win i do think both teams are going to score pretty effectively i would probably take the over which is, i think it's 54 right now i'd probably take like 31 24 seahawks probably so that's what the seahawks covering the spread and hitting the over that's probably uh what i would take I mean, I want to predict the Titans to win this game, but I, after watching last week, seeing what the Seahawks did and seeing how the Titans looked, I will not be predicting a Titans win this week. So hard to argue I with think what you said both there. Both teams will benefit from some self-scouting, though, too. Like, not only do you get to watch tape of your other team, you get to watch yourself. And I think yeah. that's where the Titans will probably benefit the most, uh, specifically the O-line. Like, that's unacceptable to, you know, to get the to get blown up in the backfield like they were on some of those runs. Yeah. Like, they just got... They got their ass kicked. Um, sorry if we can't cuss on here, but uh, no, okay, yeah, they 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 got they got whooped, and maybe they needed that. I don't know. Um, I'm cool with the homie Ben that covers the Titans for Tennessee, and now he was telling me all the guys that didn't practice together because of COVID and injuries and stuff. So perhaps that uh, played a factor in why they stunk Week One. Um, so, but I do think the Titans would be better. Like, I mean, maybe I'm wishful thinking because I have Tannehill in like three leagues. So <laughs> I'm just maybe hoping he's better. <laughs> I got Julio uh, Jones on every one of my fantasy teams. Uh, yeah. So I might just be hoping that Tannehill Hill's better for like selfish reasons, but I actually don't think he was that bad. Even the pick he threw, you know, hits Julio in the hands. Um, uh, he hit Julio the in the hands in the end zone. Yeah. Like that, t- that fumble that almost was a scooping score. I mean, what, what will we all do if we turn around and Chandler Jones just you know, smacking <laughs> us in the face, right? Yeah. Like ball security. No more is naked boots, job, but yeah, no, nah, it was, <laughs> I think that when the Titans watch the tape, like they're probably doing right now, they'll decide like, yo, this is the areas where we're going to be a lot better against the Seahawks. They can still lose, but I do, I do think they'll just be a better. It can't be worse. Offensively, yeah. I was terrible defensively too. So I think the Titans will be a lot better uh, in week two. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Wish you the best of luck this weekend. Hope you enjoy the game. And thanks for stopping by the Music City Audible podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks again to Michael Sean Dugar for joining us, giving us his thoughts on the Seahawks. 
And yeah, he's predicting a Seahawks win. What do you expect out of the Titans in this game? Is it going to be a big bounce back? Is it going to at least be close? What do you think? Uh, I do think they'll look better. But again, the question is how much better? Um, I'll take Seattle by a score of 31 to 21. Yikes. No faith in your Titans. I think they bounce back. I could see them being a much more competitive team in this game and it coming down to like, can the defense stop Russell Wilson on this potential game winning drive? And then they fail to do so. So I'm going to go 33, 27 Seahawks and it's tied or let's say 30, 27 Seahawks and the Titans are leading 27, 23 late and the Seahawks drive down and get the game winning score. So both of us a little pessimistic on the Titans, but Hey, did you watch the game? I mean, come on, man. Uh, no, I like what you said earlier. This isn't the Lions. This isn't that kind of bounce back. That 7-0 coming off double-digit losses. Mike posted the teams that they that they beat in those games. One of them was last year's Atlanta team, a very bad team. One of them was Tannehill's first start against the Chargers after they got walled by the Broncos when Mariota got benched. One of them was the Kansas City Chiefs game, so that's slightly encouraging, but of course that game required a fumble return for touchdown, a blocked field goal, the long pass to Khalif Raymond, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One of them was against last year's Houston team. They were terrible. One of them was against Chicago with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback or Nick Foles, whoever played last year. They were terrible. They did beat the Ravens in overtime, 30-24 to 24 last year. That was a pretty good win. And the last game that put them at 7-0 was Week 17 last year at Houston. A.J. Brown play with, what, 15 seconds left to get the game-winning Sam Sloman kick. So technically, they, uh, they beat a lot of bad teams, and they beat the Chiefs and the Ravens. Hey, Chiefs and Ravens, pretty good teams. We'll see if they can come out against the Seahawks, who smacked the the Colts around the good news is the Colts have to go play the Rams this week so likely week three matchup when the Colts come to town is a very very possible battle of 0-2 teams but hopefully that is not the case hopefully the Titans are able to get this win because the Colts are at home against the Los Rams who looked really good on Monday Night Football that if, if that go into that week three game both of them oh and two how big is that week three i mean that would be just huge massive as big as week three games can get especially with all those stats that we're going to see floating around over the next two weeks about teams who start with this record have a blank percent chance of making the playoffs asterisk never had an 18 week schedule before like i can't wait to see all those stats coming over the next couple of weeks all right any other thoughts on this seahawks matchup before we head out no, I think that does it. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I thought Michael Sean Dugar made a great guest um, from The Athletic Seattle. Really great organic conversation with him. We're going to keep bringing guests of that quality on this show every week. So uh, keep tuning in for your weekly Titans previews. And hopefully next week's episode will feature a much more optimistic Justin Graver and I. Hopefully. We can only hope. But hope is powerful and we are full of it here at the music city audible thanks again to everyone for tuning in make sure you're subscribed to the pod the music city audible you can find it wherever you get your podcast head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com coverage on the titans we got our power rankings up now i had the niners at four 
Where do you have the Niners? I am shocked at how low everyone has the Niners in our group. What's going I'm on? I'm shocked you have them so high after they almost blew that game to the Detroit Lions. I mean, whatever. They were up by 21 points. They put their backups in and they had some fluke plays. They had George Kittle had a onside kick bounce off his face mask. Like the Niners are still one of the top teams in the league just because they allowed the Lions to come back a little bit. The last time we saw them with Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Bosa both on the field was in the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's fair, and look, I'll probably have to put them higher on my rankings in a uh, in a little bit, uh, especially after you know we'll see what happens week two. But for now, I'm gonna keep them middle of the pack. <laughs> all right, sorry for that little divergence. Check out the power rankings on BroadwaySportsMedia.com along with all kinds of other Titans coverage. Thanks again for tuning in. You can follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. We will be back next Wednesday. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up or down however you're feeling this week. A Broadway Sports Media Production.